0: great. It, I, I, I really liked pre- preaching, so it's great. It's great to be here this morning. Um, it's great to see you here as well. Um, so, on the 21st of April, I celebrated my 32nd birthday. I know you'll be looking... I know you'll be looking at me and thinking, he really doesn't look 32. Yeah, I know. But one of my students, I'm a teacher, one of my students said, I reckon you're 48 today. And um, I had to show them my driving license. I was like, no, I'm not, look. And then they couldn't do the maths, so um, they won't be getting an A this year now. They just, it's not going to happen. Um, <laughs> funny if it was that simple. Um, I, don't, I don't like making a fuss, actually, of my birthday. Um, I do, however, stop and reflect at the time of my birthday each year. I stop and reflect on where my life is at, and I reassess myself. Perhaps you do that around your birthday too, or perhaps you do it at other key moments in the year. You stop and you think about, where, where's your life going? How's it going? You know, are you you know how are you doing? Um, maybe, maybe you stop and reflect like me. And I think it's good to do that. It's good to have those pa- pauses in life and just say, well, where am I at at the moment? When I did this, when I reflected on how I'm going, how I'm doing, and how much has changed for me in the last year, I realised a lot's changed. Um, having become a, a dad... Um, life has massively moved on for me in the last 12 months. And, I, and I, I feel like I'm acutely aware of that every day. Getting up earlier than I used to. Um, I struggle to find the time to do the things that I used to do. Struggle to find the time. Because life just got that, just that little bit harder for me. Before having our daughter Edie, I, I had more time to get things done than I needed to. I didn't realise it at the time. I thought I was busy. Now I realise I wasn't. Um, <laughs> School holidays were an opportunity because, obviously, as I said, I'm a teacher. So school holidays are great. Um, yeah, that's right. I get like 13 weeks off a year. Um, school holidays were an opportunity to complete the DIY I needed to do. I like doing DIY, so it's kind of it's a, a chore, but a, you know, enjoyable at the same time. Or it was just a good opportunity to hang out with my wife, Claire. Or perhaps sometimes in school holidays, I would attempt to play golf. Um, and I mean attempt to play golf. Ben Welshman's played with me before, he knows it is definitely an attempt. Um, now, now every day it just feels like a mad rush towards the evening, and when I get there I'm exhausted and I just end up zoning out on the sofa, just completely kaput, completely done in. Some of the things that I found time for, some of the things I took for granted, they now need to be completely scheduled into my diary, like spending quality time with Claire, my wife. We used to just be able to go out whenever we wanted to. We could go out to Blue Water, we could go to the cinema, we could go out for a meal. And now we have to pre-arrange it and also save up the money for it as well. Now, because life's changed, life has moved on. I'm sure people here who have got children uh, who are teenagers or older children who've got more than one child are just laughing at me thinking, <laughs> you wait, just you wait for it. Um, I can see the Harper's doing that now. Um, it, doesn't, it doesn't get any easier and I know it doesn't get any easier but for me at the moment my life's changed, it's moved on. And a big thing, if I'm honest, a big way that my life has moved on is that I struggle uh, to find the time that I used to have to read and pray, to read the Bible and to pray. I struggle to find the time that I used to have. I find it hard to maintain a set time and pattern to my prayer and my reading of the Bible. It was something I found easy before. I could get up in the morning and do it wherever before I got to work. But now it's much more difficult. I've also found that because I'm busier, tiredness... Um, In my tiredness, my prayer often just revolves around me. I put me first. What I do is I pray for myself first. And then if I've got time, which I don't, I move on to praying for other people and for other situations. But even when I do end up moving on and praying for other situations and other people, usually what I'm really doing is only praying for situations that indirectly affect me. So, for example, I'll pray that Edie, our daughter, has a good day at the childminders. Because I know that then when she gets home in the evening... It's going to be easier for me. How selfish is that? So I want an easy evening. I want an easy life. So my prayer ends up revolving around what I need and what I want. Perhaps you're in a similar situation to me today. Time for you is a scarce commodity. Maybe you've just had a child like me. Or maybe you've started a new job or you've got promotion in a job and life's much more difficult than it used to be. Or maybe there's a situation that you have to battle with every day within your family life or personally that affects the amount of free time that you have. So maybe that's you. Or maybe that's not you, but maybe you've, you've got enough time. You've got more than enough time. But prayer is actually really difficult. You sit down to pray and you don't know who... You, you want to pray for somebody, but you don't really know what to say. Well, that's what we're going to look at this morning. We're going to look at um, praying for one another. and And what I find... With prayer is that what I need drives my prayer and I think that's universal because we ask God when we need something yeah there's and I don't think there's anything wrong with that in fact Jesus tells us to ask him he says ask and you'll receive but I think the crux and the important thing of what I'm getting at today and my recent epiphany is that when I do pray I spend far too much time praying for myself um, because I've been so caught up in the business of life I don't give time over to praying for other people It's like I took the Lord's prayer, so Jesus taught us how to pray, yeah? I took his prayer and I did this with it. My Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give me today my daily bread, forgive my sins as I forgive those who sin against me. Lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from evil. It's like I did that with it. But if you know the Lord's prayer, and most of us do, it doesn't say that. It's us and we. Because actually, Jesus, even when he taught us how to pray, was teaching us that we need to pray for one another and we need to have a, a much wider view of prayer than just to pray for ourselves. So I found myself, I find myself in a situation, speaking to you this morning, where I realise that I'm far too selfish when it comes to prayer. Just hold my hands up and, be admit, and, and admit it. Um, and so, But one thing I have been doing is I've been able to read... The, I do still get time, I make time, because I find it difficult, but I have been making time to pray and read the Bible. Um, and so Ephesians 3 is, is, I was reading this recently, and I felt God call me to speak on this chapter this morning. Um, and if you read Ephesians, if you read the book of Ephesians, you'll find, learn from reading it, that Paul was in prison when he wrote this letter. So he writes the letter to the church in Ephesus, and he writes it from prison in Rome. And I think if I was Paul in prison in Rome, writing the letter to the Ephesians, I don't think I would have been writing, saying my prayer for you is this, or my prayer for you is that. I think I would have been going... I just want to get out of prison. And and I I think if I was Paul in prison, I would never be praying for anybody else because I'd be praying too much for, I want to get out of prison and I need this and I need that and protect me from the bad people. That's what I'd be praying if I was in prison. But that's not what Paul prays. And if you read Ephesians, you'll see that the whole book of Ephesians is about how much he cares for the Ephesian church um, and his prayer for them. And so we find uh, him praying for them in Ephesians 3, which is our verses for today. So let's just read this together. Ephesians 3 verses 14 to 19. And he says this, For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power Together with all the Lord's holy people, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you might be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. That's Paul's prayer for the Ephesians. He's not sitting there praying, God get me out of prison. He's sitting there praying for them and he prays this prayer over them. And we can learn something about how we can pray for other people through what Paul says in these verses. Firstly, I think Paul is quick to remind the Ephesians that they're a family. It's the first thing he says to them. We're a family. We've got one father. And in fact, one of the reasons why Paul wrote the whole book of Ephesians, and one of the reasons why Paul wrote quite a lot of the letters that he writes, is he's trying to counter a culture within the early church of Jewish people who had become Christians and non Jewish people called Gentiles not mixing with one another. That's what he was trying to counter. Particularly, you see this in the book of Ephesians. It would be for a moment if, for example, and I'm, you know, our church, we are so diverse as a church, but if you imagine for a moment that all the black people in our church and all the white people in our church never spoke to one another, we didn't have anything to do with one another, and one group thought they were better than the other. That is the equivalent of what was going on sometimes in the early church. There were groups of people thinking that they were better than other people or that they, 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 they were more deserving to be Christians. And Paul speaks into it a lot. Okay, And so one of the things that he does straight away in these verses is he reminds them that they're all part of the same family. They're a part of the same family. When he says, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven on earth derives its name, he's actually making more than one point. Firstly, he is saying, look, no matter what race you're from, whether you're uh, from this part of the world or that part of the world, it doesn't matter, because ultimately we've all got the same creator. We're all from the same family line. Trace it back far enough. You've got one father. If you read it in Greek, the language it was written in, this would have been even clearer because the Greek word that Paul uses for family here is patria, which itself finds its root in the, the word the Greek word for father, which is pater. I can never say Greek words properly. Okay, but it it finds its root in that word. And so actually if you were reading it in Greek, you'd have gone, oh, okay, so Family finds its root in the word father. It comes from that word. And he's making a point. He's saying, look, there is no family without, without God. There is no people without God. He is the creator and the father of everyone. But he's also referring back to what he said to the Ephesians in chapter 1. So when he says, I, I kneel, my, I bow the knee before the father, he's reminding them of something else that he said to them in chapter 1 of Ephesians. He's saying that as Christians we've been adopted by God as his sons and daughters and that we're a family. That once we weren't a family, but now we are actually a family. We're knitted together in a new way. We're not just a community of believers. That isn't who we are. We are that, but we're much more than that. We're a family. We don't just meet together on Sundays because we share the hobby of going to church. Oh, what do you do on Sundays? I play football. What do you do? I go to church. It's not like that. We're not, this, is, we're not, this isn't about a hobby that we do every week. We're a family. The truth is that God has made us his sons and daughters. You and I have been adopted by him as his family. And that truth should shape you, it should shape who you are, it should shape what you do, it should shape how you pray. We all have different backgrounds, we've all got different life situations, and so our understanding of family, of that word, will be different. And so when I say that to some of you, you're going to be like... Pfft family, that's got quite a lot of negative connotations for me, actually, because my family life isn't great. Or maybe you had a really difficult upbringing. And so when I use the word father, you're like, oh, father. Yeah? And I'm conscious of that. But equally, there will be people in the room who have got an amazing family upbringing and an amazing family life now, and they get that straight away. But whether or not you feel like, oh, oh, family, or whether you think, yeah, family, actually, the issue here is, is that you are part of a family. And you need to embrace that and accept that. And that's the, that's the truth of scripture over your life today, is that you're part of the family of believers. Maybe like me, you've got a natural inclination to be independent and kind of go on your own and try and do things on your own. And so actually, family is a much more harder conce- concept to sort of grasp and understand and take hold of. But the encouragement of the Bible is that you take hold of it, because it benefits you and it will make you grow more. You need to hear the truth that you're a part of a family and that you matter. I felt as I was preparing this actually that God wanted to say to a few people here that you matter. Sometimes I think we can find life really difficult and life can be really hard and we might not feel that we matter anymore. You're in a family and you matter in that family. God's chosen you. That's what Paul says in Ephesians 1. You've been chosen in Him. You're chosen. You are called as a son or daughter and you matter to God. You're not a lone ranger. I think some of you think you're lone rangers for the gospel. You're not. You're part of a family. You're a treasured son. Maybe some of you feel like you're a bit forgotten at the moment. You're not. You're a deeply loved daughter of Jesus. You're a daughter of God. You matter to him. And as part of that family, you matter to other people as well. You matter to us. If you're part of church, the church family here at King's, we matter to one another. And we need to hear it. We are family. God has called us together to live out our lives together, to be his people together. And I'm still getting hold of that truth. As my recent kind of admittance about that I'm too selfish when I'm praying shows, I'm still getting hold of it. I'm still learning about being part of a family and what that means. And that affects me in my prayer life. I know I need to pray more for other people. But the more I know, the more I get hold of the truth of family, the less selfish I will be when I come to pray for people. So does being a family, what does that mean? Does it mean that we live each other's lives out of each other's pockets, or does that mean that we form a commune somewhere on the Downham Estate and go all Amish and start wearing the same clothes? (laughs) It doesn't mean that at all. What it it does mean is it means that we're there for one another. We're there for one another. It means that we take an interest and care to find out what's going on in each other's lives. It means that um, we're willing to invest time listening to one another, something I struggle with, that... We're willing to give time to helping one another, practically with things, praying for one another. These things are important because that's what family means. Being a family also means that when the stakes are raised higher than they are normally, that we're there for each other. That we're prepared to drive from Bristol to London to be there for our brothers and sisters yeah, when they need us. That's what being a family means. Okay. So, I, just a little story about this. When I was at uni, I had a really difficult six months or so. I was... 21, 22, I'll probably, I said this in the first meeting as well, I probably wasn't really a difficult six months, but it felt like it. But as a 21-year-old, everything feels difficult, doesn't it? Yeah. Getting out of bed was difficult in the morning. Um, I was in my final year, and my, um, I, I basically got to the final year of uni, and my parents said, we can't, we can't actually afford to give you any money to help you through uni anymore. Um, they'd helped me out a bit, and I had to get a job. And I worked at a printing company every morning. I got up at five o'clock, and I drove over. And I packed boxes to make some money to live off of. And I was just having a really difficult week. I remember it. it, was, it was, I just, there were lots of things going on that were just really hard. And, that, and it was one of those nights, you know, these, the, the nights, sometimes you go to bed feeling rubbish and you wake up and everything's fine again because you're just tired. Sometimes, though, you go to bed feeling rubbish and you wake up feeling just as rubbish as you went to bed feeling. That was, that's how I felt. I felt awful. And I got up that morning and I went down to my car and I got in my car and as I went to get into my car, I looked on my seat and there was a bacon sandwich sitting on my seat. And my dad had driven all the way up from where they live in Ashford and Kent up to London and put a bacon sandwich on my car seat for me just because he cared for me. And I cannot tell you how much that meant to me at the time. It made me realise that I was part of a family that loved me and that cared for me. I know that's a small story, but I think there's... You know, there's a story that's been played out in our church this week, and I mentioned it a minute ago with Ben and Jess coming from Bristol today just to be with Tristan and Laura. You see, actually, at the moment, as a church, you know, Tristan and Laura, they've had a difficult week, a week that I wouldn't wish on anybody. But what we've seen this week as that's happened is that the church have come together as family. The, The amount of support and care that they've received, the amount of prayer that they've received over them, and the practical support that they've been inundated with just shows how amazing it can be when the family comes together. And um, I think that one of the main ways that we can continue to be there for them is to pray for them. One of the main ways that we can continue to be there for them isn't just through practical things, but it's through prayer. And I think we can do that in other people's lives when we're facing difficult situations. Because I know Tristan and Laura have faced this difficult situation this week, but I know for a fact that there'll be others of us in the room who are facing just similar situations, but maybe people are unaware about it. And one of the biggest ways that we can show our solidarity and our commitment to one another is through prayer. It reminds us that we're part of something bigger than just ourselves. And it works against that natural instinct that I have, and that you might have, to be independent. So when Paul prays for the Ephesians, he reminds him, them, and himself, I think, that they're part of this big family. So what do we pray when we pray for people who are part of our family? What could we pray for them? Because sometimes the need is blindingly obvious. We pray for Tristan and Laura this week. The need has been blindingly obvious. But often, it might not be a blindingly obvious need. It might just be that actually we need to, um, we, we just want to pray for somebody. And I think it's a good thing to do. But what do we pray normally? Well, Paul, I think, gives us excellent insight into the types of things that we could pray over other people day to day. And he firstly, he says this. He prays that God, for the, for the Ephesians, he prays for them that... God might strengthen you, that's what he says to them, with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. So what does that mean? Well, Paul's heart for the Ephesians is that they grow in maturity. He's praying, when he says strengthen you, he's praying that they become mature Christians. At the moment, my daughter Edie is just starting to find her feet. She's on the brink of walking. She's not quite there yet. About a month ago, she would stand up and wobble and her legs and ankles would go. And actually, what was going on was her legs were strengthening. Physically, she was needing strengthening. And now, she can stand, totally fine. If you hold her hand, she'll walk around. But when you let go of her hands, she realises that you've let go of her hands and she'll just sit back down again. Because she's mentally, she's now got a mental block she needs to get over. She needs strengthening mentally to be able to take that first step to walk. At both parts of that little journey for her, there's been the need to be strengthened. As she grows up, as she matures, she needs strengthening. And it's the same for us as Christians. We need to be strengthened. So as a family, we need to be praying for one another that God strengthens each other. I don't mean physically. So I'm not, praying that you pray, I'm not saying that you should pray for people to become bodybuilders this week. I'm trying to say that actually when we pray for one another, we should be praying that God strengthens our faith, that God strengthens us in him, that he gives us more confidence, more wisdom, More discernment, more maturity in the spiritual gifts that we've been given. Elsewhere, when, and Paul gets at this point a lot, okay, so elsewhere when he wrote to the Corinthians, he encourages them to stop thinking like children and think like adults. So it's important that we actually grow in maturity in God. Later on in his letter to the Ephesians, he continues the theme that he starts in chapter 3, talking about maturity. And he says this that if you're mature, you'll no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching. So, actually, as a mature Christian, as a mature Christian, you're able to discern what's good and what's bad. You're able to listen and watch uh, messages and preaches, and you're able to read the Bible and discern what's good and bad. You're able to understand it because you've become mature as a Christian. So, being mature, when we're strengthened in God and we become mature, the maturity brings us three things it makes us better witnesses, it gives us confidence to stand against the enemy. And it makes us even more aware of the grace that God has given us. So when you're mature as a Christian, you're more aware of the grace that God has given you because um, you're mature in your faith. So what does a mature Christian look like? What, if you were looking around the room and you were looking for a mature Christian, who would you look to? Well, a mature Christian should be bold in their witness, both in word and action. This is the type of thing that you should be praying over people, that they should be examples of faith to younger believers. A mature Christian should be confident to stand against the lies and schemes the devil might promote. And also confident to lead other people in it too. And say, well, no, that's not right. Actually, the Bible teaches this. A mature Christian can discern good teaching from bad teaching. They can discern it. A mature Christian knows increasingly the grace of God on their life. Then they know that they need to rely on it more as well. Yeah, A mature Christian relies more on the grace of God. So when we pray for each other daily, we should be praying that God matures us. We should be praying that God strengthens us. We should be praying that God grows us in him. In Colossians, which is another letter written by Paul, which it coincidentally shares many similarities to the, the book of Ephesians, Paul writes this, So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. And what Paul's getting at here is trying to conjure the picture of something growing. And as a Christian, you should be growing. And as somebody who's praying for other Christians, you should pray that they grow in their faith, that they mature in their faith, like a plant that grows bigger. And the way that a plant grows bigger is, first it grows its roots down deeper, so that it can grow bigger above the surface. So you know, there's that, that, that thing of, no matter how tall a tree is, its roots go down just as far underneath the surface of the ground. And we should be praying for one another that our roots grow deeper into Jesus, that we become more mature in him. That's what we should be praying over one another. In Paul's writing, he often builds to a big moment. And we get this, and this is going to be my, my last point today. We get this big crescendo moment in Paul's writing often. And we get that here in verses 18 and 19. And he says this. So he's just said that, you know, he prays they're going to have more maturity, that they're going to be strengthened in God. And then he says this. He prays that they may have power together with all the Lord's people to grasp how wide, how long and how high and how deep is the love of Christ. And to know that this love that surpasses knowledge, that you might be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Paul's prayer for the Ephesians is ultimately this, that they might fully grasp, get hold of, they might realise, they might come to terms with just how much Jesus loves them and that they might be filled to the top with the fullness of God. You see, there is actually more to Christianity than just becoming a Christian. There's more to Christianity than praying a prayer that you think guarantees you eternal life. There's more to being a Christian than just going to church on a Sunday. There's more to being a Christian than being baptised. Because what the Bible teaches us is that we can keep growing in God. We can keep knowing more of God. That there's more to find out about God. That there's more that we can discover about him. There's, there's more to him. There are unsearchable riches in God that you can go to and you can find out more of every single day. And so when we pray for one another, actually part of that is we should be praying that God makes one another more hungry for God. So when I pray for Malcolm, I should be praying that God makes him even more hungry after Jesus, that he keeps looking for God's love every day and that God keeps revealing God's His love for Malcolm. That's what I should be praying for him every day. You see, the interesting thing about what Paul says when he says, you know, that, that they 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 that the Ephesians learn about how wide and deep and and long is the love of God, is what he's getting at is there is no measure to it. God's love is endless. God's love is endless over your life. It can never be measured. Because as soon as you think you're at the end of it and you've realised how big and how wide his love is for you, there's more. And that's the point he's getting at. Because you can never have enough and never know enough of God's love for you. C.S. Lewis once wrote this. It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong but too weak. We're half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We're far too easily pleased. We should be praying that we're never easily pleased. We should be praying for our brothers and sisters every day that they are hungry after God and that they're looking for, to learn more about God, more about his love for them, more about his grace for them. Because God's love is limitless, his grace is endless, and his mercies are new every morning. And so we should be praying for one another um, that we have the same attitude that David had. And David writes in the Psalms, As the deer pants for the streams of water, so my soul pants for you, O Lord. We should be praying that that's our attitudes daily. That not just your own attitude, but for other people, that they hunger and thirst after God. So in our prayer for others, we should be praying that they keep hungry for God that they're filled with the power and faith to keep desiring more of God and keep knowing more of his love for them, that they see just how much Jesus loves them. So what we're going to do in a minute is we're going to take a very practical response to what I've said this morning by praying for one another. And I'm going to encourage you to do two things. I'm going to encourage you to pray that the person next to you grows in maturity, but also that they grow in their love for Jesus and their hunger to, to learn more of Jesus and to know him more. So, But before we do that, I just want to address a couple of other things. Perhaps you're here today And as I mentioned family at the start, and I spoke about how we're part of this family, God has spoken about your need to be part of this family. Maybe you're lonely, or maybe you're a loner. Maybe you're lonely at the moment and you know that you need to join this church, and that you've been coming for a while, but you need to now actually make a commitment, say, no, I'm going to be part of this, I'm going to sign up to a community group, I'm going to be here every week. Or maybe you're a loner. Maybe you're the kind of person who says, I don't need other people, I'm just going to come to church because that's what I do on a Sunday. Maybe that's you, but maybe as I've been speaking today, God's spoken to you about needing to be part of a family. Or maybe you don't have a church family because you're the kind of person who floats around different churches week by week to get a bit of flavour of Christianity in your life, yeah? You're called to be part of a family, a local family, And I just encourage you today, take a step towards us if if you haven't already. Or perhaps you're here today and you're not a Christian. Maybe as I've been speaking, you don't know the love of Christ. You don't know that it's infinite and it's without bounds. You don't know his grace because you don't know what grace is. Well, um, I just encourage you today, if you don't know Jesus, if you do not know him yet, can I encourage you to find out more about him because he will change your life. He will make your life different. He will make your life better than you could ever possibly dream. And the way that you can do that, the way that you can find out more about Jesus practically is through joining an Alpha course and doing an Alpha course. And an Alpha course is a 10-week... You commit an evening a week to it. It's a 10-week course where you find out more about what I believe is a Christian, what other people in this church believe as Christians, and it gives you an opportunity to question, to debate, and to learn about Jesus and what he's done for you. And so if that's you ask at the welcome desk at the end about the, the next alpha course coming up. So what we're going to do now is we're going to respond to what I've said this morning, because it's, it's everybody who, who preaches dream that it's not now that you respond just as much as it is this week. And so what I want to do is put it into action now, but hope that after today you go away from here and you carry on praying for other people in the church. But we're going to start that process now by what I want you to do is I want you to pray for the person next to you. And I want you to, first of all, Maybe they have a blindingly obvious need today. Maybe they're in a Tristan and Laura type situation, but we just don't know about it. So I'm just going to say to you first, ask them. Is there something that they need prayer for that is an immediate need? If there's not, but also on top of it, if there is, can you pray for them that they mature in their faith this week, that God matures them in their faith this week? And secondly, can you pray for them that they grow in the knowledge of the love of God for them? They grow in the knowledge of the love of God for them, and they hunger more after him, yeah? Yeah. We should be praying these things over one another daily. And so my encouragement to you is that after you've done this today, go and do it this week in your prayer time. Choose one person, two people, and start praying these things over them. So I'm going to give you... I'm turning into the teacher again. I'm going to give you three minutes. A minute to talk, two minutes to pray, and then we're going to come back and we're going to sing together. Okay? Oh, yeah. If you... Sorry, if you don't fancy praying with somebody, if you're not a Christian, please don't feel the need... to pray. You can just sit quietly. Just say no, thank you. Rather not, thank you. One minute, and then we're going to worship together. We're going to just bring it back together now, and then we're going to worship together. So, if you're praying, you can carry on praying quietly underneath me. Lord, we we thank you, Lord God, that you love us. We thank you that we're part of a family, and Lord, we just uh, we we thank you for one another today, and we pray, Lord Jesus, that you would keep moving in our lives this week. Would you make us more mature in you? Help us to discern right from wrong this week, Lord God. Help us to grow in our love for you, our passion for you. Make us more hungry for you this week that we would want more and more of you, Lord Jesus. Thank you for your love for us, Lord. It is endless. It is without measure. It is incalculable. Lord, we pray that you would bless us as we go from this place today. Lord, we thank you for your love for us and Lord, we thank you for the works that you're doing in each of our lives. Amen.